And we come to the final segment of the program where we talk some quirky news. And again, I have on the line Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. And uh, we have talked a couple of times in uh, the recent past about Brian's idea of the need to have a transit system as more than just a place to get on and off a bus or a train or a tram, but rather as a wide-ranging activity centre. Now, the New York World Train Centre sent a transportation hub is just about finished, not quite, 4.4 billion US dollars, 5.8 billion Australian dollars. They are about to get it finished and it's going to have, have all the bells and whistles. Brian, is this the sort of thing that you were talking about? Indeed, David. Um, yes, in most cities, uh, transport hubs are becoming uh, retail hubs and substantial proportions of people who are visiting them aren't there to travel. And so, uh, you know, in a, in a prominent, um, massive place like New York, uh, they take the opportunity to really rationalise all of the bits of the transport network or components of the, of the hub into a, a big space that's a high quality, that, that can fit a lot of retail in. And, yeah, look, it's been criticised for its cost. I think the client... Um, uh, what do they call themselves? Pardon me. Transit authority. Yeah, or the, tran the port authority um, have, have been criticising the cost of it. But uh, look, these things are really the economic um, fireplaces of activity uh, uh, for cities. Obviously, it has a great sentimental value because of 9/11, but it has been criticised because the whole activity of it. And by the way, I think the shopping centre is going to be run by Australia's own Westfield which is a little bit of a home reality to us. But the trouble is this architectural sculpture that they put on it is huge and expensive. Is there a balance where we've got to say, well, we've got to make it look good, but we really don't have to spend literally a billion dollars on trying to make it look architecturally outstanding? Yeah, look, I think this is a special case because of September 11, and I think that the concept of the dove, this huge sculpture, uh, you know, architectural sculptural forms, is really about, particularly with the underground spaces, you need to market, you need to say here is, you know, here's a prominent location, and you can be able to see this from a very long way away. So I think this is a case where big and bold is very important, but it is, it's not throwing away money, it's, it's investing in the public realm, it's very important. There seems to be three elements here now, the transport element, the commercial element, and its architectural presence becomes a critical part of this, which is much more than just putting a few seats there for bus passengers to sit That's on. absolutely right. And, of course, all this is about footfall. These transport hubs generate lots and lots of people moving, and you can sell to them. It's really a place where people come together, and it's a natural a natural place for, for business to take place. And so it's a development beyond the car-based malls. It's really about saying that uh, you know the future is going back to mass transit, and this is where you'll be able to make your money rather than building gigantic suburban malls full of car parking. Mm, that, that people have to actively go to. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know how this is going to work in... Um, they, they talk about you know, Sydney Airport doing the same thing. And I don't quite see how that's the same because nobody goes to Sydney Airport unless they have to. No, that's right, Errol. I think you're right. Airports are different. Airports are shopping malls where you travel and they certainly they operate them that way now it's all about uh, they make their money from car parking and they make their money from retail 
but you're right, people don't travel to an airport you know, just to go there because the costs are so high. But transit centres, they're in the heart of a city and, and really that's what makes them work. Sydney Airport houses about 200 stores, I believe, at the moment and there's an upgrade under its 20-year master plan. So they certainly see it as important. But as you say, Brian, it's really just the travelling public here uh, and the more serious travelling public of the you know, flying rather than necessarily what might be a short trip to a transit centre along the way. Now, Errol, you have a story for us. Well, uh, David, if, if you've never been quite sure what to do with that old nuclear reactor that you've got lying around, France has come up with a unique solution. Offer it to an American billionaire who's looking for somewhere local to make electric cars. In this case, it's Tesla's Elon Musk. France's energy minister has suggested the site of a decommissioned nuke plant at Fessenheim, near the German border, could be where EU-made Model 3s come off the production line. The uh, only small bit of fine print for Tesla, they'll have to remove the old nuclear power station first. <laughs> Cheap at half the price. Well, look, they, can, they make a saving here. They won't need headlights for their cars. The whole car will glow. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they could even nuclear power the car. I believe subs... The nuclear-powered submarines go for 20 years or more mm. without refuelling. Yeah, all, all, of, all of the European Tesla cars will, will come out of the factory fully charged. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in fact, they could be a power source for the cars around them. Yeah, I, I, I always thought it was an interesting irony that a place that made electricity will be used to make things that use electricity. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's a, <laughs> it's a, a perfect alignment of interest. Uh, according to my Look and Learn magazines from the 1970s, we're all going to have uh, small atomic reactors in our cars by now, I think. Yeah. I, I, is it a Mr. Fusion on the back? <laughs> That's right, Homer Simpson. Uh, well, you'll have, to, you'll have to change things, like your guarantee now will be recorded in terms of half-life <laughs> or decay, <laughs> won't it? Service intervals. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you'll no longer consider kilowatts, but what sort of uh, fraction of a Hiroshima bomb your car has, has to do with it. Instead of Olympic swimming pools. How many kilotons did you, did you pour <laughs> into your tank this morning? Well, I said, yeah, so mine will you know, do, uh, do the Kessel run in less than three parsecs or whatever. <laughs> you'll have to change the logo on the front of the grid, maybe to an atom, a bit like NASA, although, of course, the NASA atom is now... Uh, out of date, isn't it? It's not really an atom. Isn't really like a little planet with protons uh, circulating yeah. around it. Mm. They're waiting for the Higgs boson to be found, so they can uh, work out a logo from that. Could you change the names of cars? You could have the Einstein or the Oppenheimer. Mm. Oh. Well, we've already got proton. Yes, I tell you, one you could have the Manhattan. Yeah, Manhattan Project, the Fallout. The SUV could be called the Fat Man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which is that the name of the bomb that they dropped on Nagasaki? I think uh, tall boy and short boy or something. Mm. Won't go. Won't go. Won't sell very well in the Japanese market. Probably not. No. <laughs> but the cars should have numbers on them too. So you could have the uranium two three five. And of course, if they're electric cars and they don't have an engine node, instead you could have like a, a Geiger counter tone. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> you hear a car going past. Clicking like a Geiger counter. Awesome. Uh, scrapping the car would become a big issue, and, and you might have to uh, change traffic reports. You know, if you report that Tesla had a meltdown on the M2, <laughs> that might be a degree of difficulty. And you'd have to get rid of our cars in the, uh, in the middle of the outback. Yes, of course. Yes, you'd have to dump them there, wouldn't you? 
add whole new meaning to a hydrogen-powered car, wouldn't it? Indeed. Yeah, hydrogen absolutely. Bomb? Yes. Yes. And you, and you fill the radiator with heavy water. <laughs> have to keep fighting off Norwegians trying to blow your, your uh, service station up. Now, Brian, you have a story for us. Well, David, I'm often confused by my GPS when it tells me to take the second exit at a roundabout instead of going straight ahead. And it always gets a little bit terse with me when I've uh, taken a different route. And it's, it's, it's first trying to sort of convince me to do a U-turn and, and return to the route it was suggesting. Well, uh, a little boy in the U.S. was uh, videoed by his parents uh, he was extremely upset and confused by uh, something he heard the GPS say. Little boy and his sister, his the boy's name is Austin, and his sister is Abby. Uh, and they're sitting in the little child seats in the back of the car, and their parents are on the way to the zoo. At which point, um, the little boy immediately says, we have a problem when they've arrived at the zoo, a bear problem, because he heard the TomTom GPS telling them to bear right he interpreted this as there was a bear to his right <laughs> outside. <laughs> uh, the poor little fellow ends up uh, bursting into tears because he's, uh, he's very frightened of the idea that a bear has, uh, is roaming around outside the zoo and, and the car is warning him that it's, uh, it's on his side of the car. There's a whole pile of those in terms of lyrics that have been misunderstood, isn't it? Oh, yes, yes. The, um, yes, there's a, um, it's called a mondegreen, isn't it? There's always a technical term for it, no matter what it is. Yes. In terms of giving an instruction and perhaps interpreting it in a different way, is that lovely story about a kid who had autism. Uh, did you see it go around on the internet where he was asked to put uh, different words in alphabetical order? So he had the word apple, A-double-P-L-E, was the first word, and then pumpkin and log and river, fox and pond. And then for number one then, he put apple, but he put the letters in the word apple in alphabetical order, A-E-L-double-P. That's fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) Following the instructions to the letter. Yeah, to the the letter. (laughs) I just think that's lovely. Pumpkin became I-K-M-N-P-P-U. That's fabulous. <laughs> he, Fox, he didn't have to do anything for, yeah. but it worked itself out. <laughs> there is a story which is uh, not so much of getting the wrong uh, expression, but actually uh, getting your, your metaphors and that mixed up when you int- what you intended to say. I knew two guys who were in the insurance industry. They were interviewing a young girl for a position, and she was very nervous. And one of her, when they said, have you got any questions, she said, will I get fired if I make a mistake? And they really wanted to put her at ease. And so one of the guys tried to say two things. We will give you your time to find your legs and spread your wings. <laughs> Uh, oh, no. Only he got it wrong. <laughs> so many things over into interpretation. The boy, he got even further scared when they, they turned the TV on and uh, some lyrics came on saying, there's a bear in there and, and a chair as well. <laughs> Why are the bananas wearing pyjamas? The other thing is, of course, if they started giving signs, you know, started giving the, the navigation, started giving signs and reading them out, like give way when merging. What might you make of that? Or hump. Hmm. Falling rocks do hump, not hump, stop. Hump ahead, yes. Errol, a story. Uh, well, if you think you're having a bad day, spare a thought for a US driver who almost drove off a cliff in LA along 
the infamous Malibu Canyon Road. Fortunately, he managed to get out of the vehicle, despite the front half of his SUV hanging precariously over the edge with the back wheels in the air. To picture that, think of the, you know, the action movie of your choice, which usually has a similar situation. Unfortunately, just as he escaped from the vehicle and tried to move to safety, he got hit by a bus. He... <laughs> He could end up writing scripts for the Roadrunner. <laughs> he managed to survive that as well, although he did need hospital treatment. It didn't push him off the cliff. It didn't sort of bump him off the cliff. I, that would have been the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? And leave the car there and <laughs> knock him off the cliff. <laughs> they say bad things come in threes, so I can't imagine what's next for him. Well, at least the ambulance didn't crash on the way to the hospital. <laughs> well, not that I'm aware of. Is his nickname Lucky? Oh, it should be after this, I think. Although it was probably unlucky to be hit by the bus. Kind of cancelled itself out. Mm. Yeah, he was lucky. But, uh, my um, sister-in-law, her father drove off the edge of a cliff and was balanced there precariously and uh, with the children in the car. And they said, all right, we'll sneak out and get a tow truck. And he didn't want to pay the money. So he sort of said, no, I'll back it back. I'll, yeah. <laughs> so, thank you, father. I see which, what value you give us. There was an, another story in the, a city in Oregon called Bend, perhaps appropriately, where someone's visor broke in the car, the sun got into their eyes and they had a crash and another driver then struck the police motorcycle parked uh, at the scene you know, a short while later. Although I do note that Bend has been picked as one of the eight best beer towns in the USA. Oh. I'm not sure if that had any relation to Good it. Good for a bender. Gentlemen, as always, wonderful to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. And that's Brian Smith and Errol Smith, and we were talking some quirky news.